In a few minutes, we're going to read from Exodus chapter 1. Exodus is the second book in your Bible, and it is the uh, first chapter that we're going to read from in just a moment. If you haven't been told it a hundred times already yet today, moms, happy Mother's Day. Uh, in fact, I'd like this side of the church to kind of address this side of the church and all the moms therein, and this side of the church to address that side of the church and all the moms therein, and let's just at the count of three look at one another and say happy Mother's Day. One, two, three. Very nice, very nice. We are smack dab in the middle of a six-part series entitled Influence, and during this series, we've been trying to remind you that regardless of how insignificant you feel, or regardless of how insignificant I am as one of seven billion plus people on the planet, I'm still part of God's plan. If the Bible reveals one thing about God, and the Bible reveals many things about our Creator, but if it reveals one thing, it is that God has a plan. In fact, on some level, that's exactly what your Bible is. The Bible is the story of God's plan for mankind from past to present and on into future. Week one, we dealt with the influence of the church. The church has influence in its community. The church has been called to light its community, not condemn it. The church has been called to influence its community, not try to elect the right kind of politicians. Sadly, if there are those in American culture who believe that Christianity is evil somehow or that Christianity is not good, maybe the church needs to take a hard look inside and question whether or not we're very good. Last time we got together, we talked about friends. You see, God not only uses his word and the principles therein, God not only uses circumstances, God will use other people to shape and mold us. We're part of his plan, and he's developing us along the way. And there is no greater tool or instrument in your relationships, your marriages, your friendships, than your words. Your words can either build up a relationship, or it can tear one down. Today, we're going to talk about family. And that's not just by coincidence. It's, of course, Mother's Day. So again, happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the audience. There is no greater influence in any life than family. Most of us would agree we are who we are largely because of mom and dad. So I hope this day, mom, brings you joys and, 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 and pleasures and maybe even ex an exceptional present from your little one. You know, I always tried to find something unique for my mom, something out of the ordinary. I, I didn't necessarily want to make her cry, but if she did, that was kind of a bonus because my gift was so special. You know, it, could have been, it didn't have to be expensive. It just needed to be meaningful. But, you know, when you're eight years old, the best you can come up with typically is a $7 bottle of perfume. But now as I've gotten older and I've talked to so many of you moms, there's more than one way to look at a $7 bottle of perfume. If your eight-year-old little boy or girl goes to Walmart and buys you some cheap perfume, you need to understand this is a multi-purpose gift. On one day a year, Mother's Day, when you receive the gift, that gift will make you smell beautiful. It'll make you feel good inside. And all the other 364 days during the year, that perfume will repel mosquitoes. So remember that. I looked up mother in the dictionary. Mother is a noun, one person who does the work of 20 for free. See also saint and wonder woman. We owe so much to you, mom. I personally believe there's no greater force in the universe than the love of a mother for her child. You teach us so much. You give us so much. You influence us 
so greatly. Uh, there are times that mothers will ask me, the pastor, to talk with their kids. Uh, I almost always share this with them. An ounce of mother is worth a ton of pastor. Believe me, that's how I grew up. My mother was hands down the greatest influence in my life. Now, I love my father, and my father means everything to me, but I got to tell you, I may be a chip off his old block, but I am just like my mother. Today, I want to tell you the story of a very resourceful mother. And at first glance, the story may not sound resourceful. It may sound foolish. When I tell you this story, especially if you're unfamiliar with it, you might scratch your head and wonder if this mother ought to be locked up. This woman's plan was either ingenious or it was foolish. It was either incredible or it was risky. The story is the story of Jochebed, Jochebed, the mother of Moses. To get a little background for this story, let's start in Exodus 1 and look at verse 6. Now Joseph and all of his brothers and all the generation had died. You remember Joseph? Joseph's story is contained in the latter chapters of the book of Genesis. The last several chapters of Genesis is devoted to this man's story. Joseph was the great-grandson of Abraham, who was the father of the Jewish people. Uh, Joseph was the one who got sold into slavery by his own brothers, and he winds up in Egypt, of all places. But over the course of his life, the Bible continues to remind us that God was with Joseph, and God was with Joseph. And Joseph eventually rose to the highest position of leadership under Pharaoh in the whole nation of Egypt. In fact, it was Joseph who saved Egypt, saved the nation by saving them from a seven-year famine. Well, according to this text, Joseph is long gone. His generational descendants are not nearly as influential as he once was. All of his brothers and sisters, they're gone as well. Verse 7, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They, they multiplied greatly. They increased in numbers and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. You remember, when Joseph was in Egypt, the Hebrews and the Egyptians, they lived peacefully cohabitating the land. But now the Israelites have been so, so prolific. They're having so many babies that the Pharaoh gets worried he gets worried about what we're going to do with all of these Hebrews. Verse 8, then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power. Verses 9 to 15 describe his plan. He's concerned and he turns to his advisors and he says, we've got to do something about this population explosion among the Hebrews. Because if they outnumber us, they're going to join one of our enemies and they'll overthrow us. We'll lose our land. We'll lose our heritage. So his plan was slavery. We are going to overpower the Hebrews before they outnumber us, and we're going to place them in bondage. They're going to become our builders. They're going to become our servants. For hundreds of years, God's people, the descendants of Abraham, would live in bondage and oppression. That was the king or the Pharaoh's plan. But the Hebrews kept having children. Pharaoh assumed, if I enslave them, I'll take away all of their pride. I'll take away all of their national identity. I'll take away all of their drive. They'll be too tired to have babies, and I'll be able to control them. This is not what happened. Skip down to verse 16. Pharaoh has a conversation with the midwives to the Hebrews, these ladies that helped birth all of these babies. Verse 16. When you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. 
kill him. Just kill him right then. If it's a girl, then let her live. If you see that the child you're delivering is a boy, murder him. Now, all these many thousands of years later, we in our advanced culture, we look back at this primitive way of, of, of living and thinking, and we say, how brutal. How brutal. Who could possibly take the life of an innocent child moments after it's born? L let me just point something out. What makes that any different from taking that life six months earlier or seven months earlier? I don't see the difference. Verse 17, but the midwives, however, they feared God. They did not want the king of Egypt, they did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do, so they let the boys live. They had an excuse. They said, these Hebrew women are so hardy, they're popping out these children before we can even get there. By the time we get there, the baby's born, the mom's up cleaning the house, somebody's cooking dinner, and they've hidden the child. That was their excuse. Now, skip down to verse 22. So then Pharaoh gave her this order to all the people. Every Hebrew boy that is born must be thrown into the Nile, but let every girl live. It's under these dark circumstances that a baby boy is born. You will come to know him as Moses. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Now, every parent thinks their child is fine, right? That's a fine little baby you've got right there. That's understandable, but that's not the word that's being used here. The word fine is translated from a Hebrew root word, which means exceptional. There was something exceptional about this child. And when she saw that there was something exceptional about her child, because of Pharaoh's degree, she looked, or decree, she looked to hide him. Um, look at verse three, but when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus, a papyrus basket and hid him, coated it with tar and pitch. Now, if you know the story, you know what's coming. This is where the story gets amazing. I mean, this mother, Jochebed, she's faced with an impossible decision. I mean, there's no way she's going to give away her child. There's no way she's going to sacrifice her son's life. And yet, she cannot continue to hide him either. Man, they're in a tough spot. They're slaves. They have no influence. They can't call an attorney. They know no one in a position of power. They can't run. They can't try to hide. So Jacobed comes up with a plan to save her son. It involves a fruit basket, a big basket. She coats it with tar and pitch, and she does something exceptional with it. Now, again, I told you a minute ago, the plan is either foolish or it's ingenious. I think by the time I'm finished, you're going to realize this is a very, very resourceful mother. Keep reading. End of verse 3. Then she placed the child in the basket and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. So she doesn't throw her baby in the Nile as Pharaoh had commanded, but the baby's in the water nonetheless, right? Verse 4. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe. Aha! This was probably Jacobed's plan all along. She knew Pharaoh's daughter bathed every morning in the Nile. That's why she placed the baby there in the reeds. And her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds, and she sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. She, he was crying, and she felt sorry for him. See, Pharaoh's daughter could not embrace the callous policy of her father. This demonstrates her tenderness. Listen, church, I thank God for the tenderness among women. 
It's a, it's a quality that most men don't possess. And that tenderness makes our world a much, much better place in which to live. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then her sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, watch this. Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse this baby for you? Is that brilliant or what? I tell you what. How about I go get a nursing mother from among the Hebrews, and that mother can take care of this child for you. It's brilliant. Guess who she goes and gets? Verse 8. Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother, got Jochebed. Pharaoh's daughter had said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I'll pay you. Man, this just gets better and better. <laughs> this is incredible. So the woman took the baby, she nursed him, and when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Do you realize what Jochebed has done? She has exponentially maximized her son's future. Her son would not only come up in the very household of Pharaoh, he would be exposed to a quality education, the sciences, languages, math. He'd become an engineer of sorts. All the while, he would hold on to his Hebrew heritage and remember where he came from. And none of that would have happened were it not for his mother. None of it. Jochebed is a genius, in my opinion. Jochebed was willing to take a risk when things didn't live up to her expectations. And that risk, I mean, she not only did something great, I mean, she just crushed it. She, she, just, she just exponentially raised the stakes. It's incredible to me. I'm going to use this story to demonstrate a powerful principle in every family, a principle that some of you excel at, others have to work at. The lesson can change everything about a marriage. If you walk out of here today and you get this one simple principle, it's going to improve your relationships. Jochebed did something that Many people find difficult, and some people find impossible. But she was in an impossible situation. I don't know what you would have done or what I would have done, but again, she not only made the best of it, I mean she crushed it. She capitalized on it. Jochebed exponentially secured her son's future, and in almost every area of our lives, you can employ the principle that she employed. Because in almost every area of our lives, the level of our expectations are very seldom reached in our actual experiences. In almost every area, every venue, every arena in your life, marriage, relationships, higher education, first job, retirement, whatever it may be, in almost every arena in life, the level of our expectations often far outweighs and exceeds our actual experience. Let's take marriage, for example. When you get married, it's like you show up at the door with a bag of luggage. And in that suitcase are all of your expectations. This is what I think marriage is going to be. More specifically, this is what I think marriage to you is going to be. This is what our family will become. For her, she expects her husband home early every night. Dinner as a family. A quiet dinner filled with gratitude for all of her hard work. Laughter around the table. She's going to enjoy a long, stimulating conversation with her husband on the porch swing as the sun is setting. The children will be well-behaved. They'll have plenty of money in the bank. That's not what he's expecting whatsoever. He goes into marriage thinking, hey, man, I'm going to have sex every night. 
The kids are never going to bother me. We're going to have plenty of money, and I'm going to spend it like I want. I'm going to do what I want when I, when I want. I'm expecting my mother's cooking, and I'm expecting my wife to love everything about me. Now, again, very few of us with that kind of expectation experience those results in our actual experience. So here's the question. What do you do with that gap? How do you handle that discrepancy? What happens when the actual experience does not equal the expectations? I told you earlier, Jacobed's plan was either foolish, crazy, or it was brilliant and ingenious. I can tell you one thing. This lady was forced into an impossible situation. This lady in no way expected this to be her family experience. When she married Amram, Moses' father, she in no way envisioned a marriage, a family in bondage, a child born under these dark and difficult circumstances. In no way was that what she was expecting. But it wasn't simply her happiness that was at stake here. It was the very life, the very survival of her son. That's what was at stake. Now, again, let's talk about this just for a second. What must you be thinking to put your three-month-old baby in a homemade raft made out of a fruit basket that you, lady, yourself constructed? Doesn't say Amran constructed it in his workshop full of tools. No. It said mama made it. Okay, what are you thinking to then set that baby afloat on a river? Today, that woman would be arrested. That's child endangerment. But that was the gravity of her circumstance. That was the difficult choice she had to make. Her experience wasn't anything like her, her expectation. How do you take a chance like that? Here's how you do it. You bridge the gap between what you expected and what you wound up with with a choice. Jacobed made a choice to do this, to believe the best, not assume the worst. This is the principle that will change everything about your marriage. This one simple acknowledgement can improve any relationship, can strengthen any part of your life. You see, when expectations are here and actual experience is here, you and I have a choice to make in the middle. We can either believe the best or we can assume the worst. It's a choice we make because there will always be a difference between what I expected and what I got. That's just life in the fallen universe. That's the way it typically is for us. What I experience rarely measures up to what I imagined. Jacobed chose and she chose wisely. It's always a choice. Incidentally, the Hebrew midwives made the same choice. They were told specifically by Pharaoh, kill the baby boys. They chose not to do so. Their expectation for their job, for their work, for their king, and what they actually experienced was drastically different. They made their choice and they believed the best. So here's what it boils down to. How do you handle the gap between what you expected and what you received? I'm asking you personally. Mom, I'm asking you. When you're standing in the kitchen and dad's 30 minutes late and dinner's on the table, in that moment... With expectations that are here and an experience that's there, what do you decide? Well, he probably got held up at work. You know, he's very popular at work. All the guys like him. So he's probably talking to somebody. 
you know, he's really good at his job, so I'll bet the supervisor turned to him to stay a little bit late, believe the best. Or, he always does this. He doesn't respect me. He doesn't respect my time. He doesn't respect our family. Which is it? Do you believe the best or do you assume the worst? What I want you to see today on this Mother's Day 2022 is that you have a choice. You decide how to proceed when things don't work out like you'd hope. You're the one that makes the choice. Nobody makes it for you. And look, I know that rearing children is overwhelming at times. Difficult doesn't begin to describe motherhood and fatherhood. I would imagine that as a mother or a father, as a husband or a wife, you don't always get what you expected. But believing the best, that's what's key. That's what's good for our kids. Believing the best in our marriages is what builds intimacy. It makes us closer. Believing the best in any situation is going to improve it. You see, that's how you influence your family toward God. You continue to assume the worst and you drive them away. You believe the best and you push them toward. I came across this in my study. If a child lives with criticism, then he learns to condemn. If a child lives with hostility, he learns quickly how to fight. If a child lives with ridicule, he learns to be shy. If a child lives with shame, he learns to feel guilty. But if a child lives with kindness, he learns to be patient. If a child lives with encouragement, he learns confidence. If a child lives with praise, he learns appreciation. If a child lives with honesty, he learns integrity. If a child lives with security, he learns how to have faith. If a child lives with approval, he learns to like himself. And if a child lives with acceptance and friendship, he learns how to find love in the world. You don't do that by assuming the worst. You do that by believing the best from God, from your family, and with your children. You don't need me to tell you that the primary influence in a person is their family. I said it earlier. I am who I am largely because of my family, my parents, my home life, especially my mother. And God expects parents, fathers, and mothers to influence their children for good. Here's the good news. You can do it. Because of all people, you know who told us how to do it? Moses. I'm going to read two verses from Deuteronomy chapter 6, and then I'll wrap it up. Moses is now a full-grown man. The people are free. Moses has led the emancipation of his people. There's celebration throughout the camp, and Moses wants to remind them of something very, very important. It comes from Deuteronomy 6 and verse 6. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Okay? When the Bible uses the word heart, it's not talking about that muscle that's pumping blood throughout your body. It's talking about your will or your intention. Moses is saying, these commands, these principles of God that I'm giving you, I want them to become part of your intention. I want them to become part of your will. Well, how do we do that? He'll explain, verse 7. Impress them on your children. Mom and dad, that's your highest calling. Impress them on your children. Watch this. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. These aren't specific tasks that a parent's supposed to accomplish every day. Moses is drawing a picture. Use everyday life to point your kid to God. That's what he's saying. These commandments that I'm giving you, I want them to become part of who you are. 
I want you to become a, a reflection of my loyalty, my love, my devotion, my faithfulness, my mercy, my grace. I want you to reflect my character. Here's how you do it. You incorporate the God dialogue in your home. You use regular, everyday, ordinary experiences and you talk about them. When you sit down, when you get up, when you lie down in the evening, when you get up the next day. That's how you do it. You see, one hour a week at church doesn't meet that standard. Turning your kids over to us for an hour a week doesn't meet the Deuteronomy 6 standard. A quick prayer that's kind of memorized and regurgitated before a meal, that's not going to cut it. What Moses is saying, the same Moses whose mother was brilliant, ingenious, Moses is saying, weave God and his word into your child's life. Walk out your faith. Live it. Talk about it. Do it. And when, you're ex and when your experience cannot live up to your expectation, remember, you have a choice to make. You can believe the best or you can assume the worst. My challenge to you today, especially you moms, is to believe the best. Imprint God's word and his ways on your child's heart by incorporating the God dialogue into your home. Here's how I'd like to end the service today. Moms, I don't want to embarrass anybody. And moms, don't assume for a moment that I believe this is a beautiful day and a happy day for every one of you. Not everyone was blessed with the gift of motherhood. Not everyone had a mother like the one I'm describing. And yet today, in honor of that beautiful gift that God has given each of us, a mom, I want to recognize our moms by asking you to stand, and then I'm going to pray for you. So if you don't mind, moms, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I do want all the moms, if you don't mind, stand. That's beautiful. Look at all the moms. That's fantastic. I'll tell you what, that's fantastic right there. We love every one of you. We love every one of you. I had a mother who was a saint. I had a mother who impacted me on ways that I'm still exploring to this day. You are doing the same with your kids. I want to pray for you. Father, look at these beautiful women. Every one of them, I'm sure, overwhelmed from time to time at the position they're in. Father, it's not easy. It's not easy, and we know it. God, thank you for their smiles. Thank you for their gratitude. Thank you for their love, their care, their mercy, their tenderness, their compassion. Thank you that these moms bring something into their homes that dads can't even counterfeit. We can't even copy it. It's just beyond us. So God, I pray for them. Give them strength. Give them peace. Give them courage. Give them patience. May they recognize this day above all others how integral they are to their family and its dynamic. Use these moms, I pray, to do amazing things in our community through their family. And I pray it because of Christ. Amen. God bless every one of you. I hope you have a happy Mother's Day and a wonderful week. I'll see you next time.